Chapter Six of *The Girl Who Had Nothing* by Mrs. C. N. Williamson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Allison. The Tenants of Roseneath Park. About the first of May, when Cornwall was at its loveliest, everybody within twenty miles of Torrigal, a village famed for its beauty and antiquity, as artists and tourists know was delighted to hear that Lord Trelinnen's place was let at last, and two most desirable tenants. Lord Trelinnen was elderly, and too poor to live at Roseneath Park, therefore Torrigal had long ceased to be interested in him, but it was intensely interested in the new people, despite the fact that their advent was the second excitement which had stirred the fortunate village within the last year or two. The first had been the homecoming of Sir Anthony Pendered, the richest man in the country, who had volunteered for the Boer War, raised a regiment, and when peace was declared had come back to Tor Court covered with honours. He was only a knight, and had been given his title because of a valuable new explosive which he had discovered and made practicable. He had grown enormously rich through his various inventions, and after an adventurous life of some thirty-eight years, had bought a handsome place near his native village, Torrigal. At first the county had looked at him askance, but the South African affair had settled all aristocratic doubts in his favour. About a year before the letting of Rosny's Park, he had been enthusiastically received by all classes, and was still a hero in everybody's eyes. Nevertheless, the first excitement had had time to die down, and the county people and the best society of the village united with more or less hidden eagerness to know what poor old Trelinnen's tenants would be like. The Trelinnen pew in the pretty church of Torrigal was next to that where Sir Anthony Pendred was usually, and his maiden sister always, to be seen on Sunday mornings. The first Sunday after the new people's arrival, the church was full. But service began, and still the Trelinnen pew was empty. After all, the tenants of Roseneath Park, whom nobody had seen yet, had come only yesterday. Perhaps they would not appear until next Sunday. But just as the congregation was sadly resigning itself to this conclusion, there was a slight rustle at the door. The first hymn was being sung, therefore eyes were able to turn without too much levity, and it is wonderful how much and how far an eye can see by turning almost imperceptibly, particularly if it be the eye of a woman. Two ladies and a little girl were shown to the Trelinnen pew. Both ladies were young. The elder could not have been more than twenty-three. The younger looked scarcely nineteen. Both were in half-mourning. Both were beautiful. They were, in fact, no other than the Honourable Mrs. Fitzpatrick and her sisters, Miss Mercy and Mary Milton, these latter being known in other circles as Joan Carthew and little Minnie Boyle. The child, who appeared to be about six years old, was charmingly dressed and exemplarily good during the service. As for her elders, they were almost aggravatingly devout, scarcely raising their eyes from their prayer-books, and never glancing about at their neighbours, not even at Sir Anthony Prendered, who looked at the two more than he had ever been known to look at any other woman. This was saying a good deal, because he was by no means a misanthrope, although he was forty and had contrived to remain a bachelor. It was rumoured that he wished to marry, if he could find a wife to suit him, though meanwhile he was content enough with the society of his sister, who was far from encouraging any matrimonial aspirations. 
when marian and joan and minnie were driven back to roseneath park in the perfect victoria and by the splendid horses which advertised the solid bank balance they did not possess the two elder sisters talked over their impressions minnie played with the french doll that somewhat resembled herself in her new white frock with her quantities of yellow hair marian leaning back on a cushioned sofa waiting for the luncheon gong to sound was prettier and more distinguished-looking than she had ever been while joan as mercy milton would scarcely have been recognized by those who knew her best marian's maiden name had really been milton and mercy had been selected to fit the picture for which joan had chosen to sit her beautiful gold-brown hair was parted meekly in the middle and brought down over the ears finishing in a simple coil in the nape of her white neck she was dressed as plainly as a young nun and had the air of qualifying for a saint well dear what did you think of him she inquired of marian of whom asked mrs Pitpatrick, blushing oh if you're going to be innocent well then of the distinguished being whose name and qualifications i showed you in the mayfair budget a few days after i got back to england and you the eligible parti in fact whose residence near torrigal is responsible for our choice of abode joan don't put it like that mercy if you please not joan and i found out exactly what i wanted to know your reception of my brutal frankness has shown me that you like him so far so good i may like him but that won't help your plan oh joe mercy i mean i do feel such a wretch that man looks so honest and frank and nice and he could hardly take his eyes off you in the church if he knew what frauds we are you are not a fraud and it is you with whom he is concerned or it will be as i'll soon show him if necessary your name is fitzpatrick you are a widow we are sisters in affection you haven't a fib to tell you've only got to be charming but it's you he admires i told you it'd be so if one of us is to be lady shh said joan and the gong boomed musically for lunch had it not been for the existence of innocent little minnie the county might not have accepted the lovely sisters as readily as it did joan had thought of that as she thought of most things and minnie the protegee of charity was distinctly an asset a very good prop as joan mentally called her in theatrical slang which she had learned perhaps from her long-vanished mother the presence of minnie in the feminine household gave a kind of pathetic domestic grace which appealed even to tradespeople and tradespeople were extremely important in joan's calculations she had obtained credentials upon starting in her new career in a characteristic way miss jenny mordaunt wrote to lady john bevan asking for a letter of introduction for a great friend of hers the honourable mrs fitzpatrick to the solicitors who had charge of lord trelinnen's affairs as mrs fitzpatrick wanted to take rosemeath park jenny mordaunt's late chaperon gladly managed this mrs fitzpatrick called upon her and lady john was charmed she had known the dishonourable dick slightly years ago had heard that he had married an heiress and marvelled how he had been tolerated by so sweet a creature as this lady john offered one or two letters of introduction to old friends in cornwall and they were gratefully accepted as the friends were not intimate and as lady john detested the country except when hunting or shooting was in question 
there was little danger that she would inopportunely appear on the scene and recognize the saintly mercy milton as the late miss mordaunt everybody called on the fair lily-like young widow and her very modest retiring unmarried sister everybody that is with the exception of miss pendered who pleaded when her brother urged that she was too much of an invalid to call on new people soon however he boldly went by himself excusing his sister with some tale of rheumatism which she would have indignantly resented mrs fitzpatrick and mercy milton were surrounded with other visitors when sir anthony pendered was announced and he was just in time to hear a glowing account of the orphan sister's dear old california home which joan had learned by heart partly from marian's reminiscences partly from a book when father and mother died little minnie and i were the loneliest creatures you can imagine the gentle mercy was saying dear marian had just lost her husband and so she wrote for us to join her it is so nice having a home in the country again we both felt that we couldn't be happy without one and we chose cornwall because we thought it the loveliest county in england we are very glad we did now for everybody has been so kind she might have added and the tradespeople so trusting but on that subject she was silent though she intended that they should go on trusting indefinitely indeed thus far the scheme worked almost too easily to be interesting sir anthony pendered outstayed the other visitors and he stopped unconscionably long for a first call but that was the fault of his hostesses who made themselves so charming that the man lost count of time and perhaps lost his head a little also at first it seemed that marian's impression was right and that despite mercy's retiring ways it was the young girl who attracted him this made marian secretly sad for when she had seen sir anthony looking up from his prayer-book in the adjoining pew she had said in her heart with a sigh how good he would be to a woman how he would pet her and take care of her to be his wife would be very different from but she had guiltily broken short that sentence in the midst persuaded and fired by joan she had entered into this adventure she had even laughed when joan selected the neighbourhood of torgel because a society paper announced the advent of a particularly desirable bachelor you will be the prettiest and nicest woman in the county of course therefore he will fall in love with you and propose he will marry you you will live happily ever after and you will be able to pay all the debts that we shall run up in the process of securing him the girl had remarked but now when the desirable bachelor had become a living entity and she felt her heart yearning toward him marian's conscience grew sore still though she told herself that she could not carry out the plan and try to win sir anthony pendered it was a blow to see him prefer joan the symptoms of his admiration were equally displeasing to the girl she was deliberately effacing herself for this episode while it lasted she was to be merely the power behind the throne knowing that she was more strikingly beautiful and brilliant than marian fitzpatrick she had studied how to reduce her fascinations that marian might outshine her evidently she had not entirely succeeded but during that first call of sir anthony's she quickly surreptitiously changed a diamond ring from her right hand to the engaged finger of her left flourished the newly adorned member under his eyes and spoke with a conscious simper of going back some day to california to live sir anthony did not misunderstand and as he had not yet tumbled over the brink of that precipice whence a man falls into love he readjusted his inclinations after all mrs fitzpatrick was as pretty he thought 
was certainly more sympathetic. He was glad that Minnie was her sister and not her child. Though he had always said he would not care to marry a widow, this case was different from any he had imagined, for Mrs. Pitpatrick had only been married a year or two when her husband died, and she had soon awakened from her girlish fancy for the man, so Miss Milton had guilelessly confided to him. Thanks to this, and much further guilelessness of the same kind on the part of the meek maiden, Sir Anthony Pender had discovered, before the sisters had been for many weeks tenants of Roseneath Park, that he was deeply in love with Marian Fitzpatrick. Accordingly he proposed one June afternoon, amidst the ruins of a storied castle overhanging the sea. Joan had got up a picnic to this place expressly to give him the opportunity which she felt triumphantly sure he was seeking and she was naturally annoyed with Marian, when she discovered that the young widow had asked for time to think it over. "'You little idiot! Why didn't you fall into his arms and say, "'Yes, yes, yes!' the girl demanded, in Marian's bedroom, when they had come home towards evening. "'Because I love him, and because I'm a fraud!' exclaimed Marian. "'Oh, I know what you must think of me. I haven't played straight with you, either. You've done everything for me.' I was to make this match, and the rent of this place, and our horses and carriages, the payment of all the tradespeople on whom we've been practically living, depend on my catching the splendid fish you've landed for me. You've lent me a lot of money, and what you had left when we came here you've been spending. I've spread it like very thin butter on very thick bread, to make the hundreds look like thousands. To carry off a big coup like this, one must have some ready money, broke in Joan with a queer little smile at her own cleverness, and the thought of where it would land her if Marian's conscientious scruples refused to be put to sleep. "'We shall be in rather a scrape if you don't marry Sir Anthony, and you're made for each other, too. But never mind, we shall get out of it somehow. At worst we can disappear, and leave everything unpaid, and let him and everyone know we are adventuresses,' exclaimed Marian, breaking into tears. "'Don't cry, dear. Don't worry.' "'And don't decide anything,' said Joan. "'I have an idea.' She induced Marian to go to bed, and nurse the violent headache which the battle between heart and conscience had brought on. When it was certain that Mrs. Fitzpatrick would not appear again that evening, she sent a little note by hand to Sir Anthony, as fortunately Tor Court was the next estate to Roseneath Park. "'Do come over at once. It's very important that I should see you,' wrote the decorous Mercy." Sir Anthony Pendered was in the midst of dinner when the communication arrived, and to his sister's disgust he begged her to excuse him, as it was necessary to go out immediately on business. "'That adventuress has sent for you,' Ellen Pendered fiercely exclaimed. "'She has got you completely in her net. I don't believe those three are sisters. They don't look in the least alike, and it's all very well to say an ignorant nurse spoiled the child's accent. I have heard her talk more like a Cockney than a Californian.' I tell you there is something wrong, very wrong, about them all. I advise you not to tell anyone else, then, answered Anthony Pendered furiously. That is, unless you wish to break off for ever with me. This afternoon I asked the adventuress, as you dare to call her, to marry me, and she refused. I had to plead before she would even promise to think it over. With this he left his sister also to think it over, and decide that, between the two evils, it might be wise to choose the less. Marian's lover could not guess why Marian's younger sister had sent for him, and his anxiety increased when he saw the gravity of the girl's face. "'Is Mer—is Mrs. Fitzpatrick ill?' he stammered. 
"'A little, because she is unhappy. "'But you can make her well again, if you choose,' replied Joan inscrutably. "'Of course I choose,' he almost indignantly protested. "'Wait,' she said, "'and listen to what I have to say. "'Poor Marian is the victim of her own goodness and sweet nature. "'And because she swore to me that she would never tell the story of our past, "'she feels it would be wrong to marry you. "'I cannot let her suffer for Minnie and me, "'so I am now going to tell you myself.' but on this condition. If you do decide that you want her for your wife in spite of all, you will never once mention the subject to Marian. I will inform her that you know the truth, and that she is not to speak of it to you. Is that a bargain? Yes, but you needn't tell me the story unless you like. I am sure she is not to blame for anything, replied the man, who was now thoroughly in love with Marian, even to the point of wondering what he had ever seen in Mercy. Certainly it is not she, but as she thinks it is, it amounts to the same thing. The facts are these. Dear good Marian took pity on Minnie and me in a London boarding-house, where we chanced to meet after her widowhood. She had decided to come here to live, because she longed for the country, but had not meant to take as grand a house as this, as she had just found out that her dead husband had spent most of her fortune. I implored her to bring Minnie and me to her new home, and give me a good chance of getting into society by introducing us as her sisters. She was rather a swell. At least she had married an honourable, and we were nobodies. The poor darling finally consented to handicap herself with us. I had a little money, too, which had uh, come to me through a lucky investment, and I was so anxious to live at Roseneath Park that I made Marian, who was most unbusinesslike, believe that together we would have enough to take the place. I am supposed to be practical, and so the management of everything has been left to me. I have paid scarcely anything except the servants' wages, so you see that I have brought my poor Marian down to. The only atonement that I can make is to try and save her happiness by confessing my wrongdoing to you, and begging that you will not visit it on her. I certainly will not do that, said Sir Anthony Pendred quickly. As you say, her one fault has been a kindness of heart almost amounting to weakness, which, in my eyes, makes her more lovable than ever. As for the loss of her money, that matters nothing to me. I have more than I want, and— You'll pay everything? Without betraying me to Marian? Oh, I don't deserve it. But do say you will do that, and I will relieve you of my presence near your fiancé as soon as possible, as a reward. I know that, after what I have told you, it would be an embarrassment to you to see me with Marian, because as you are very chivalrous, you could not let people know I was not really her sister. I will disappear, and every one can think I have been suddenly called out to my Californian lover to be married. Doesn't he exist? questioned Sir Anthony, looking at her engaged finger, and thinking of the matrimonial schemes she had just confessed. Not in California. But as I haven't been a success here, I may decide to be true to the person who gave me this ring. She had bought it herself. Now that I've promised to go out of Marian's life forever, you'll guard her happiness by seeing that everything is straightened here, financially? I shall be only too delighted if you will tell me how to manage it without my name appearing in the matter. Well, if you'll trust the money to me, I'll use it honestly to pay our debts and give you all the receipts. So it shall be. You're a, you're a brick, Sir Anthony. The only difficulty left then is about poor little Minnie, of whom Marian is really very fond. People might gossip if Marian let her youngest sister go back to California with me, for as we are supposed to be so nearly related, 
Surely it would be better to save a scandal and let, well, let sleeping sisters lie? If Marian is truly fond of Minnie, there will be plenty of room for the child at Tor Court, and she will be welcome to stay there as far as I am concerned. I must say, Miss, er, Milton, that I think the child will be better off under our guardianship than in the care of her real sister. You are good, and I quite agree with you, responded Joan meekly, far from resenting his look of stern reproach. When you've trusted me with that money to pay things, and I hand you the receipts, I'll hand you also a written undertaking never to trouble you or Lady Penderid. You would like me to do that, wouldn't you? I, er, well, perhaps something of the kind might be advisable, murmured Sir Anthony. When he had gone, the girl chuckled and clapped her hands, and then she ran to a looking-glass. You're not exactly stupid, my dear, she apostrophized her saintly reflection. You've provided splendidly for Marian, and you've saved her sensitive conscience. Her slate is clean. As for Minnie, she will be all right till the time comes, if it ever does, that you can do better for her. As for yourself, well, you can leave Marian a couple of hundred for pocket money, and still get out of this with something on which to start again. You've finished with Mercy Milton, thank goodness, and it will be a relief to do your hair another way. Two days later, Joan Carthewd had turned her back upon Torrigal, and Mrs. Fitzpatrick's engagement to Sir Anthony Pindered was announced. End of chapter 6 Recording by Lynn Allison.